everybody, this is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development, and I'm really excited that today we have Jeff Donaldson with us, who's a PhD candidate in public policy, and excited to have you here. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Thank you very much. Look forward to the opportunity. Why don't you share with us what inspired you to start your PhD and the work that you're doing? Absolutely. So it all started, um, I just recently retired after 28 years in the Canadian Army, with the majority of that being in supply chain management. And everybody retires from the army at some point. And so we're all looking out what might that second career be. And mine really started in 2012, sitting in uh, Kabul, Afghanistan. And I was thinking about where I, you know, where do I want to take this next? And uh, emergencies, disasters have always been interesting. And that's why I came across the Royal Roads University Masters of Disaster and Emergency Management, which is what I started the next year in, in 2013, completed that in 2015 carried on with my military career. And then in 2017, I decided to undertake a PhD in public policy. Uh, and then in 2019, I actually retired from the military and the uh, PhD became my full-time work and my employment. And I guess really the, to answer the question why, it's kind of, you know, every academic inquiry starts with a great investigative question. Um, why are we doing what we're doing? And so the phenomenon that I found really interesting was, despite decades of efforts by multiple levels of government, Canadians, and, and you can extrapolate that to most populations, uh, remain woefully unprepared for disasters. And, and I looked at that and I said, you know, they're trying really hard. We're doing a lot of wonderful things in this space, but I don't understand why. And because everything begins with public policy. So everything that we do in the public sphere starts with some form of public policy, some form of legislative framework that sets up what we're executing, what we're trying to achieve. Public policy seemed an absolute natural start point to look at this problem set. So that's how I came to a PhD in public policy doing studying emergency management after an army career. So what are some of those particular problems that you see just don't get addressed and need particularly to be addressed? Well, I think primarily for me, I'm very much concerned about the people in emergency management. Now, emergency management is, is a growth industry, just like the military is. And fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of the public face of emergency management is lights and sirens. It's the response. It's the, mm. it's the CNN hits. It's the urban search and rescue teams. We only need to look at what's happening in the Canadian province of British Columbia right now. What happened in the state, southern states of Kentucky with the tornadoes. That's what hits uh, the airwaves. That's what gets excited. And that actually draws a lot of people into mm. the field of emergency management. My interest is in the pillar of preparedness, which for lack of better terms, it's all those things that you do to be ready to deal with the hazard when it's realized. So that's not the sexy part. It doesn't have lights and sirens. It's not exciting. So I really interested in why people are not hearing the message. You know what? So the message is very well communicated for one part. It's clear. We can debate as to whether the preparedness messaging is the correct message that's getting out, but it's getting out to a number of people but there's a message adoption problem that we have. The population writ large, and for a number of reasons, is hesitant in adopting the preparedness behavior that we wish them to do. So really what I, what I try to zero in on are all of those reasons why 
that might be occurring. And I think the primary reason is uh, welcome to 2021. We're a little busy right now and there's a few things going on. So how mm. do we compete in that space when somebody is, is, has an exceptionally busy life? How do we compete in that space? Mm. Do you think that this stemmed somewhat from the redesign that you did of the supply chain and the forces because you were solving problems and identifying communication issues? Well, exactly. And that's very much my mindset. And that's why 20 years of supply chain management, it a lot of the principles in supply chain management transcend into uh, emergency management in that a lot of it is is about the mapping and the understanding. So when I my research specifically for my PhD is zeroed in on the relationship between municipal emergency managers and the communities they serve. And one of the key elements that I'm looking at is that understanding of do the emergency managers truly know the community they serve? Mm. Do they know other than because a lot of times what's taught is that a community is is a the summation of a number of hazards. But we know in reality the community is people, right. it's organizations. The community is a perfectly functioning, reasonably perfectly functioning structure of humanity, whether emergency management exists or not. And so I'm studying, do the emergency managers understand what is going on within the communities? And then how do we get them known? Because a lot of times what happens is we have public messaging that just goes out. You know, I'm, I'm going to get on social media. I'm going to put out, a, it's emergency preparedness week. I'm going to mm -hmm. throw out an absolutely fantastic program. I'm going to put up these displays or I'm going to send out preparedness messages on Twitter, but nobody actually knows if anybody's listening. Right. And so sometimes it's about defining, how do we define success? Do we find define success in emergency management preparedness as simply executing a message, sending out a message, sending out information, or does behavior adoption reflect the actual message? So again, it creates a bigger question of, then how do we determine whether people are actually listening to us? Mm, so what are some of those metrics then that you think that organizations should be measuring? And, and so one of the key metrics is, first of all, is to have a baseline. And one of the metrics that's used is understanding how many people are following your social media feed. And this is a reasonably easy one to do as a reflection of the population. So. And in my study, in my PhD work, I use Twitter just because Twitter's data is publicly available and easily mm -hmm. to access. Facebook is probably a better indicator of reach. It's because Twitter's about 60% of the reach of Facebook in most municipalities, but Facebook private user data is not publicly available, whereas Twitter is. So looking at a percentage of the population that a community, that an emergency manager is responsible for, how many are they actually communicating with? How many people are engaging? How many times does your tweet get retweeted? That's a modern metric that we can use without a lot of effort in communication space. And we know that emergency managers are challenged with resources. Mm. It's not a resource rich industry. And that's part of the issue. Um, funding, everybody looks for funding, but the problem is, is that in a lot of Canadian municipalities, your emergency manager is a one of. That's it. That's or they might even be doing the job part time. So to say, I need you to go out and do a full 
statistically significant study of all of your residents to determine their level of preparedness, you, you fail at the start line because the resources don't exist to do that. So your, your recipe can't be that. Your recipe has to be something that's achievable. It's like the old story of SMART goals, right? SMART, mm. measurable, achievable, um, and time standards. So if we look at just the engagement with social media, which is a key piece of my research, you can look at, okay, I now know right now, 3% of the population follows my Twitter handle. How do I expand that? And a great thing that came out of one of the uh, departments in BC actually, is they've started running contests, simple Starbucks cards. Everybody likes their Starbucks, Tim Hortons here in Canada, whatever your thing might be. So for $20 a week, they run a competition and they would get people to like, comment, and it would be a guess, you know, what's the most important thing to have ready for a hurricane? What's the most important thing mm. for earthquakes? And they would get people engaged. And because there was a prize, this individual took their region from a little over 300 followers to almost 35,000 simply by using small incentives. Because over what time period, Jeff? That's over a three year period. Over so again, none of these things that we need to address within this communication issue are short immediate term right, right. like these things are take time to build uh, so that's one metric uh, the second area that is that that we that i recommend for emergency managers from a community perspective is get to know your community and this very much comes from uh professor daniel aldrich's book in 2012 out of the north I think he's in Northeastern University now. It's called Building Resilience, the cap Social Capital and Post-Disaster Recovery. And basically what he showed is, he demonstrated in his work and, and much follow-on work that he's done in the research field, is that those communities with strong connections to their municipalities through strong social capital have a better recovery and a better uh, outcome post-disaster. So they get a disproportionate amount of resources and they bounce back better because they had a pre-event strong positive relationship with their municipality. So if we look at preparedness, if Professor Aldrich and many others say that that's what outcomes look like when we're well connected, I take a step back in the preparedness and say, how, what are the tools that we can give emergency managers to allow them to best improve this communication and, and grip grip or, or communications with their population without saying, you know, invest another $100,000, which I know most emergency managers don't. And, and so the second piece of it with this social capital is to, to build engagement through roundtable meetings. And this happened again in the same district in uh, British Columbia in Canada, where they just started having quarterly meetings. Anybody from the community, any community organization um, come to our table. We're going to talk about emergency management. We're just going to talk about what your concerns are. And then when you look at the different groups in society and part, a lot of my research that I did zeroed in on the economic realm. So I talked to chambers of commerce and I asked chambers of commerce, why aren't they involved in emergency management in their community? Why aren't the business improvement areas? you know, business improvement agencies, all these lobbyists for small businesses within a community, why aren't they part of the emergency management roundtable? For the mm. most part, 
for the most part of those communities had no idea that emergency management even existed at the municipal level, even in a pandemic. They had no idea. Wow. And then I went and I talked to institutional organizations like the YMCA, United Way, Salvation Army, Red Cross. Why aren't you at the table with the municipal emergency managers? And finally, and this is the really, really interesting part for me, was the individual service agencies. So the service agencies that are providing a defined service to a specific population. So think about the organizations that feed the homeless. So right now in your community, if you're an emergency manager, somebody is out there feeding the homeless. You need to know those people. You need to have those people on board as part of your emergency management program. Because we found out in through some things that occurred during the pandemic, that the emergency managers, for example, there was one outbreak in a town where a bunch of people that had to be isolated in a rooming house. Now this rooming house is just that individual room. So you have 30 odd people in a rooming house. They're all COVID positive, so they have to stay in their rooms. Mm. But if they're living in a rooming house, they're socioeconomically challenged individuals. They don't have the money to have 20 days or 14 days of food. And oh, by the way, some of them are addicted to alcohol. They use marijuana. They smoke cigarettes. How are you going to help those people? Because if you don't buy them cigarettes or provide or get some marijuana for them, and remember marijuana is, is legal here in Canada, um, mm -hmm. they're, gonna go, they're gonna leave your isolation and break the rules. So all of a sudden emergency management with the public health agencies had to go out and buy marijuana for isolated individuals a whole different way of thinking. They didn't wow. know that there were organizations out there feeding the homeless. So when it came time for meal preparation, they had to go try to figure out who could do it. When in fact, there's already organizations who are currently doing it and you're just changing their scope slightly. So the, the biggest point that I, that I champion with emergency managers when I work with them is know your community. And that means know everybody who's doing everything within your community they should know you. And I talked to a very um, a wonderful guy who is a 30 year veteran in emergency management. And he put it best, he said, it's brand and marketing. So if you've ever taken a business course, emergency management is just like marketing a brand. You gotta come up with a logo. You gotta come up with a slogan. You gotta be marketing it to people just like your Pepsi, just like your Coke, just like your mm. Facebook. Um, and I don't know. And right now I know marketing and branding is not part of emergency management education. As you were speaking and talking about metrics and measuring and social media, I was thinking of, well, this is actually measuring your reach and your impact on your customers and brand awareness and, and getting response and iteration and all of this is a marketing process. This is a branding process. This is a public relations process so just to wrap up um for emergency managers or those that are aspiring to become emergency managers what are some key takeaways or some learnings they should put into practice before they take up that leadership role uh, under understand that uh if you're going to communicate to the population if you have a responsibility to communicate to the population at large you need to make sure that you need to understand where people are at so as much as people laugh at me I encourage emergency managers to be on TikTok because your population is there. They're on TikTok. Right. So if you're an emergency manager, 
you need a TikTok page. Now, I know that's difficult because a lot of municipalities are not very keen at having a municipal employee having a full-time TikTok page with the municipality logo, et cetera. But from an emergency management perspective, if you want to communicate with your public, if you want to engage your public in preparedness messaging, you have to go where they are. You can't have a strategy where you drag right. them to where you are. Like, I need to drag you to the medium I want you to be on. That's a recipe for very, very slow growth, if none at all. Your, rep, your recipe for fairly rapid and consistent growth in your reach to your community is where they are. If they're on Facebook Live, you should be on Facebook Live. It costs nothing. Take an hour a week. Run in a Facebook Live. Someday you'll have two people. Someday you'll have 50. Maybe they'll tell somebody. All of these things are just time-related, not money-related. So you go to where your customers, for lack of a better term, are, and then you engage them with what they're looking for. And uh, for example, like the, I live in the city of Ottawa. So the Ottawa Public Health Twitter handle has me crawling in stitches almost every week. I don't know who they have running it, but they are an incredibly social media savvy individual that puts the pandemic and, and requirements for the pandemic into phrases of where you're, you're quite literally laughing out loud from how they present the data. You know, it's kind of like everybody laughed at the CDC when they used the zombie apocalypse to communicate people how to behave in a pandemic. And it turned out everything that they were saying was exactly what we want people to do for a COVID-19 pandemic, but the CDC did it preceding that as a way to engage people. Here's what you're, here, their official publications, here's what you need to do for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> um, but, it, but it set the message and that's, hmm. I, and that's the brand and marketing awareness. If you're a brand marketer, you understand that your population, you have to go where they are, you have to speak hmm. in their language. So if you're producing content for TikTok, it's gonna look different than the content you're producing or the content you're producing for Facebook or the content right. you're producing for Instagram Reel or uh, something that you're gonna put on Twitter. The new Twitter Blue on desktop allows you to put a 10 minute video up. Uh, there's all of these ways. Uh, there's also uh, a funny anecdote that I learned in one of my research where one of the small towns that I spoke to said 65% of their population was almost 70 years old. What do elderly people do every morning? Well, in this area of the country, they turn on talk radio. Mm. They're on Facebook to talk to their grandchildren, but that's about it. So if you want to reach that demographic, you need to be on talk radio. So call up the radio station, say, hey, listen, let's have a five minute chat once a week, once every two weeks on preparedness. And again, none of these things cost money. None of these things require considerable resources from your municipality, which are barriers, let's be realistic, but they all require you as an emergency manager to build your message to your constituent where they're at with a you know, basic crisis communication theory messaging. It needs to be clear, it needs to be consistent, and it needs to be repeated. So in other words, if you're telling people to do something, it better be the right thing because you're gonna tell them to do the same thing across all mediums in different ways but your message is similar and it's the same. And then the end result is over time, you're meeting constituents where they are and you're building the brand through meeting face-to-face. -face. And this region I talked about in British Columbia 
that did the face-to-face meetings, it took them almost two and a half years to get everybody slowly to come on. So, you know, the homeless feeding group came on and then the local soup kitchen came on. And a couple of months later, the food bank decided to show up to the meeting. But eventually they got this great relationship map or what's called social network analysis, which is a uh, an academic theory into defining this and laying it all out. Because it, I get back to my supply chain roots. When you do supply chain, the first thing you do is map your supply chain end to end. And I know it's a lot of it's broken right now internationally, supply chains. But you start at the manufacturing and you end at the end customer. And everything in between, you map it out. So one of the things that emergency managers need to do is, is map out their community. Who's there? Who does what to whom? Engage them. They need to know who you are. Have a brand. And none of that costs really any money, just time. Jeff, this has been fascinating. And just so you know, uh, I have a page and a half of notes from what you've been saying. This has been great. So I really hope our <laughs> students are making notes as well. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. I know you're really busy. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Please don't go anywhere as I wrap up. I want to have a quick chat to you after this. Uh, but if you're an emergency manager and you're watching or one of our students or if you're a veteran or active service personnel and you're an emergency manager, you know that you're always training. You've probably got a big binder full of certificates and endorsements and courses that you've done. But maybe that doesn't translate into academic credit if you went to a university. This is why we were established to make sure we recognize and give you credit for not only your training, but also your industry experience. So make sure you jump on www.uard.org or uard.ac.nz and engage with us about getting your bachelor degree or your postgraduate degree and your master's as well. So Jeff, once more, thanks so much for your time. We look forward to seeing the rest of you back on our next episode. 